Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. This is Arjun Aurora. I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support funds and founders and help accelerate their efforts with people, strategy, and capital. And now off to John Lowe. Hi, I'm John Lowe. I uh, work with Arjun at Valence Advisory as the lead on executive coaching and communications coaching. But enough about us. Today's guest is Mike Edelhart. I will not spoil the introduction. I'll allow him to introduce a bit about himself and what he's up to today. Sure, thanks. Happy to be here. So I am the managing partner of uh, a set of uh, cooperative, very early stage venture funds. Uh, Social Starts, active since 2012, uh, Joyance Partners, active since 2016, and those are the most recent expressions of a rather long career doing this kind of thing that goes all the way back to before the uh, IBM PC. So uh, a nerd of the old school who in kind of an interesting way has uh, come upon my dream job late in my career helping uh, of brilliant young people get their company started. Thank you, Mike. And so how did you get into venture and what's kept you in venture for a good amount of time now? Yeah, it's been a long time. It's it's like I think often happens. It's the long, strange trip. So I was originally trained to be a journalist, but I always had a deep interest in science. And so way back when, before it was popular, I decided to be a science journalist. It would give me something unique to sell. And it worked. I wrote a lot about hard sciences. I did science books. I wrote for the New York Times and magazines about sciences. I was at a science magazine in the late 1970s called Omni uh, that, you know, writing about science as if it were science fiction. Uh, And then when computing happened, there were very few people who knew much about computers who knew anything about media. And Bill Ziff found me and I wound up being a, a senior member of the founding team at PC Magazine, and then at the other Ziff publications. And we came to the conclusion that to do good journalism about something as new as PCs were back then, we had to do product testing. We couldn't just say, here's a word processor. We had to say, the parameters of a word processor go from A to X, and we have tested A to X, and we're showing you the results so you can now actually make a decision about what you want to do here. And so we wound up in the product testing business. And I had a fundamental hand in setting up those labs and operating those labs. And because we had the biggest labs, we wound up being the authors of the standard benchmarks and and all that. So it just sort of kept going deeper and deeper. And by the end of that decade, I learned a lot about what worked and what didn't in technology, how things actually percolated through business and society. And at the uh, very beginning of the 1990s, the Zip family decided to sell the business. They wound up selling it to Masayoshi Son at SoftBank. And five minutes after we got there, uh, Son San, who's quite dramatic in the way he can react to incoming stimuli, seeing the emergence of the internet said, oh my word, this is a much better business than what we thought we were doing. Stop everything and start pounding all of our money into the internet. And so we did. We did something like three dozen uh, very early stage investments in first generation internet companies in one summer. 
I wound up sitting on boards and evaluating companies, and I've been doing that for a living ever since. And it's really kind of natural because it's sitting up in a chair, having a structured conversation, uh, trying to get people to take your phone calls, listen to you, believe you can help them. It's in some ways very journalistic. Uh, pay is better. And that's interesting that you share your experience in having um, a solid methodology in evaluating products. Because, I mean, just if we were to go to your LinkedIn profile, Mike, or to the website on Joyance or the uh, Social Stars website, it's not an immediate connection one can draw between your experience at PC Mag evaluating products and how that has enriched a lot of your diligence right. on promising startups, even today, which mm. the products and their services might take a different face, but may, perhaps the underlying structure essentially still holds. Yeah, we're different. Uh, quite consciously and have been since the beginning for most venture funds. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that Bill Losey, the founding partner and I, I'm 68 years old right now, and I was in my late 50s when we really started this. So we had the sense that two old techie white guys are not going to, you know, if I was 27 years old and I just sold my company to Facebook, I believe that just my friends represent a key population of entrepreneurs and I'll meet them just because we're hanging out together. We felt like if we weren't activists about finding deal flow, we wouldn't find any deal flow, that uh, if the strongest companies wouldn't find their way to us. The second is that one of the things I did when I was a journalist is work with Sir John Templeton on his autobiography. And, and Templeton is one of the gods of Graham, traditional Graham Wall Street investing. And and one of the things that Graham Investing says is that if everybody is going to the left, there's no opportunity to the left because it's too crowded. You can't fight your way through extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds. And so you go to the right, even if the right doesn't look like the greater opportunity, it's actually because it's available to you a greater opportunity. And this is how Warren Buffett and many super successful long-term investors uh, uh, approach things. And so when we started this, we said, we got to do something that gets us deal flow. So when we can't wait, if we go into the A round, we're just going to be the 87th fund in line, Sequoia, Excel, all these folks are bigger, more experienced, better known, no hope. So, but what if we're in front of them? What if we get to know the companies they're in love with before they ever met them? What if we are present at the creation of companies? Can we do that? And if so, how? And we have this background in very early structured product testing and Graham. And we're like, well, if they go left and we go right, what do we have to do? What do we have to know to be effective in front of them? Why aren't they all going early? And the reason we felt that they weren't going early is they all felt the VC community felt, what's the point? If you go to the very beginning, one, you can't find a company. They're just two guys, two gals in a room somewhere. If you can find them, there's nothing to analyze. And if you can analyze them, you can't put a big enough check to work to make any difference. So it's, it's a useless exercise. So we're not going to do it. And we just began taking it apart. Is that really true? Could we not do it? Is it impossible to get in early and do something other than guess? And we came to the conclusion that we could develop a method that might work and we started applying it to the funds and it's proven that it does work. So we've been very successful at finding these companies. 
and at analyzing them intensely and at finding a set of companies really early that turn out to be valuable. And now uh, the funds are beginning to get bigger and folks are beginning to pay more attention because they're seeing that, wait, what are they doing? How did that work? Um, but that's really where it started. If we didn't find a way to get deal flow through hard work, we didn't think we were going to have any. Thank you. And um, it's an incredibly long, uh, a longer feedback cycle to validate or invalidate your hypothesis of what's going to work, isn't it? <laughs> kind of. Um, I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, obviously, if we're the very first money and we literally wrote the first check to Pinterest and the first check to Box and the first check to all these companies of value, and it takes them 10 years to exit, then it says on paper, it takes our investors 10 years to get their money back. And we don't really know if we're right until 10 years from now. But that's not really the case because one, we can start to see signals. So again, we're a little data obsessed. So there's a universe of companies that are worth a billion dollars. That's a fact. All those companies were started at some point and they were worth nothing. They were two people in a garage with a dream. Between a dream and a billion dollars, are there any patterns among those companies at all? Do they have anything in common with one another? Do they have any signals or indications that turn out not to be present in the companies that are worth $30 million. And actually, there are, we think. And so one of the things we can do is start looking very early at those early patterns and increase our stake in the companies that are showing those early patterns. We may not be right, but probabilistically, we're more likely to be right. And so that's a good thing. And the other thing that's possible during this approach is what we call three to five and three to five, which means from the middle of the portfolio, company doing well, but not great. But we were in on single digits and a 30 million exit is terrific. And so we can uh, happily participate in those kinds of exits to begin getting money back to our investors much earlier than 10 years. And uh, through secondaries, hyper-interested uh, B and C round investors, we could sell our shares back to them. There are lots of different ways we can theoretically begin to make our investors' positions liquid without just sitting there passively and waiting to see how it all comes out. Wow. And what a long journey. And my understanding is you're now on to Fund 5 with Social Starts. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're on to fund five on social starts and fund seven overall because we have two fund two fund families. And, uh, you know, there's probably a couple of interesting stories in that. I mean, one is we started incredibly small, four million. We're about 70 some million under management. Now, by this time next year, things go as expected. We'll be over 180 million under management. And that's a testament to the fact that this method is working and it's attracted really good people and the team being stronger is doing an even better job of implementing all this and all that kind of stuff. But also uh, because we recognized the sort of explosive nature of health uh, several years ago. And uh, that's why we started up Joyance uh, uh, to focus on that. And it turned out that that was a good decision that health, even before COVID was rising in importance, rising in uh, venture characteristics, strong companies, lots of companies, lots of exits, lots of interest. And that isn't even close to being peaking. So um, the fact that we're now increasingly present in an area that a lot of folks care about more is uh, drawing attention. And it looks like money to us, which is gratifying. 
Thank you. And maybe just for the uh, viewers here, it might help if you can outline Social Start's latest thesis, areas of focus, and a bit about how your team is working together to you know, serve future and existing founders in those spaces. Sure, happy to. Yep. So the way we operate the funds is that each year we do a complete fund teardown. So we gather the whole team together and drive this notion. The team has gotten pretty used to it. It's kind of unnatural, but they've gotten used to it. The fund doesn't exist. Everything you did yesterday is gone. You can't walk out of here and do it. You have to redefend it from the ground up. And there are team members there with new ideas that they are intending to support with equal ferocity. And there's this dialectic scrum about what should we do and what does the research show and how are people behaving and where's the money going and how are the laws changing and all that stuff. And out of that intense argumentation comes generally eight, maybe 10, very specific areas where the group has achieved consensus that there's gonna be a lot of valuable A rounds in that area. We don't try and analyze beyond the A round because we think we're just guessing, but we think we can get some degree of uh, factual heft into that couple of year process. And then we write those up in great detail, not just we're going to be into microbiome, but we're going to be into microbiome vectors that use external factors like sound or scent and uh, biological markers, like, you know, that kind of thing, very specific. And then our team and our software tools are all tuned to those. And we begin looking at lots of companies. And I mean lots. We looked at, uh, we found 10,000 companies last year and evaluated 6,000. So it's very intense. Uh, develop a lot of background on where we write. Are there a lot of companies? What are they doing? What are the technologies? Where do the investors come from? Are the companies in Europe? Are they on the East Coast? Are they on the West Coast? And that allows us in our meetings that all of this, milling through companies, suddenly there's a company that will just rise. It's very dramatic. It's like normal, 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 normal. Oh my Lord. And the whole team can see it. And then we core down on that company because we know it's a good space. And we just saw a company that has every characteristic we've decided after a lot of work matters. And that's the one we uh, back. And then we start analyzing at that point with the first investment. But is it looking like the big winner? Um, our role is to be helpful. We don't take board seats. We, we say we're trying to be the fund we wished we had when we were younger doing what they're doing now. You know, experienced, uh, pretty scientific, well-connected, not a pain in the butt. So we define helpful as responsive. We talk a lot to the companies, it's basically a dialectic, and try and understand what they say they want and understand why they want it, and then do everything we can to bring it to them, whether that's Deep scientific support, we've helped with clinical trial protocols or connections to companies or recruiting or meeting other funds or whatever it is. We believe that a truth-based, trust-based, we really mean it. How could we help your relationship between us and the leaders of the company is the essential. We're much more likely to get more money into a company where the founders actually like us than we are into a company where the documents say we have a right. Uh, to it. So we were breathing mm -hmm. in those relationships. Wow, amazing. And maybe, I mean, it'd be a good opportunity to tell more about the kind of team you have behind this venture fund just to actually carry out that yeah. immense workload. I mean, just as an example, uh, reviewing 6,000 
of uh, 10,000 companies is, is no small undertaking. <laughs> no, it's not. And our team knows it when they get involved. But it's important to note that of those 6,000, almost all of them were one conversation. Almost all of them were, this company does not have what we're looking for. So fewer than 20% of those 6,000 ever got to the second conversation. Our investment rate is sub 1%. So we're very, very picky about what we give money to. But the 5,900 other conversations allowed us to know this company is different. And if we didn't have them, we couldn't know it was different. So it's not as if we're doing full diligence on 6,000 companies. We're doing full diligence on maybe 600 companies. Uh, still a lot of work, but we're you know, coring down on those based on all that background. Uh, we have 21 folks on the team, 16 of them full-time, which is most, which is more than a small fund like ours would generally have. And that includes three PhDs in biological sciences, a medical doctor, a full-time data scientist, full-time uh, analyst and software uh, lead. I like to say at 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, Japanese, Chinese, American, uh, Swiss, English, German, you know, all over the place. So all over the world, Singapore, so we're where the companies are. And our team likes digging in on all these companies, finds the exploration interesting. So many of them come from academic backgrounds. And from an academic background, this is the same thing as a thousand Petri dishes. You can't know which of the solutions will work if you don't have a thousand solutions. If you don't have solutions that don't work, you can't know that the Petri dishes that do work are actually doing anything. And so it's just classic experimentation. And we have quite a few folks who are young. So we're getting a reputation and we're sort of working at it. We say being sort of like enterprise car rental or a high volume kitchen. So you come into our kitchen, you're going to see more meals in a week than most funds look at in a year. And so if you're with us for a couple of years, you are going to have dog years of venture experience. And so uh, folks uh, with interesting backgrounds sometimes join us for that reason. It's a great place to get your career started. Uh, we're meritocratic. I was surprised to realize we're more generous on carry than most of the funds are for me. It's like everybody who works here should get carry. And then other VCs are like, are you nuts? Um, I just, I firmly believe, how could we say everybody's doing this together, but you know, some pigs are more equal than others. It just didn't make any sense. So we're able to get folks together to do that. And, and we've had folks, you know, blow through here in two years and then go off and found their own funds or come here for a couple of years and go off and be corporate VCs or whatever. And we think that's great because it just expands our network. You know, in terms of how we run it, we have team all over the world. So it's virtual. We do a lot of conference calls, a lot of verbal interaction. And the key thing for us in that is what we call radical honesty. Our team actually needs to trust one another, and we say out loud, love one another enough that they are willing to tell each other the truth with love. Not that I am down on you, John, but the argument you just made, not so much. I'm going to dismantle your argument because I love you, and we both want to do the right thing, and we both want to win. And uh, we work really hard to get that kind of spirit in the team so that we're actually looking for the truth together um, and telling each other what we think. and minimizing that, you know, people are polite, then the phone calls over and then they start telling each other what they really thought and should have said 
bringing in a bit of the journalist practice or the peer the peer the, the journalist practice into the organization in a sense. Yeah, I, I guess, but it just uh, maybe just peer logic too. In other words, it, we're looking for truth, our definition of truth. If our definition of truth is reached, then we're going to see the effects we're looking for. And everybody on the team kind of has to be up for that. Um, and it's a lot of work, but we approach it with joy. It's you know, the hardest working band in show business um, kind of thing. And that's, uh, that's kind of fun. It's a real high to, for this group in these partner meetings to go, we just saw the future. When we first saw Lambda School, just to give a particular, we're looking at all these companies, we're looking at all these companies that are talking about how you can get educated and you don't have to pay for it and new ideas in education, and they're all interesting. And then we come across this company that not only is doing all of that, but solves the big problem, which is how does he actually get paid? He's trained the students and he's taking their future income, but their future income is in the future. And he paid for all this stuff now. That's a big problem. And in comes Austin with, oh, I've turned their future income into a derivative and I have investors who are making a market for me in their future income, so I get paid now. And our reaction was just, oh my God, that guy is simply smarter than anybody else doing that. That is a fundamentally better business model than anybody else doing that. It was just simply no question. That was a little view of the future. And now we're seeing ISA starting to spread out all over. You got four-year colleges talking about funding students that way as opposed to student loans. And I think genuinely, Austin was the first guy to have that idea and bring it to practical fruition. And we were able to see there and be that, and that's pretty cool. And we'll do well, I think, on the investment, but mm -hmm. doing well, that's just a pretty cool experience. Thank you. And sure. just because we're, all, we're almost teeing up um, in terms of time, one of the things, I mean, in my limited 34 years of life experience, what I've often seen during like uh, economic crises or you know global instability is, when a group of people have the right incentives, often the, a new generation of innovators come up and see things others don't. And ha have you observed any of that pop effect within your own team at Joyance and Social Starts? And if you could share a few of that, hopefully it might be a nice inspirational way to uh, end this interview. Yeah, happy to. Well, uh, you know, uh, we talked about it a lot. I'm so old. I've been through. I wasn't around for, uh, you know, the stock market crash in the 30s, but uh, even Carter stagflation and all that kind of stuff and the 80s and the 90s. Um, and historically, uh, downturns are great times for startups. If you just look at it historically, a lot of really great companies started during recessions. Why? Because big companies are wide open to new things during recessions and times are great. It's like, we don't got to change nothing around here. Everything's fine. When markets get tight, you have to try and think of new ways. And so there's an openness there. And also people's behavior tends to change. We have to economize. We have to do things differently. We want a restaurant experience at home, whatever. Um, and so startups can really get going during a downtime. Now, this current one with this sort of full circle, full economy faceplant worldwide, um, nothing quite like that has ever happened, at least not in my life. We seem to be seeing the same effect. And a couple of folks, uh, I think highly of, have talked about COVID as an accelerant. It's dragging the future forward. So changes that might have happened over 10 years are happening right now, this year. And uh, alterations in behavior that folks might have, I tried it, I told them, they're changing right now. 
And so uh, when you have radical changes in behavior and radical changes in business environment, huge opportunity for uh, entrepreneurs. So in the fund, we're talking about this as an historic summer of opportunities. Uh, the world is going to be different. The opportunities are huge. The market is sort of perturbated, so prices are likely to be low. And I wouldn't be surprised if the greatest companies our funds have come out of this summer. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, we're excited for that time to tell. Yeah, I want to be around to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. um, well, um, I think that's a good place to leave it, Mike. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs>